everybody, and thank you for tuning in today's show. I am James, the Ghost Set Killer, with Put 'em on the Glass Podcast. Hey, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to last month's sponsor, which was Drift Chris. He is the distributor of the Pro Set. Um, if you haven't gotten a hold of him yet, get a hold of him soon. Um, he ships orders within two weeks. So this uh, month's sponsor is Kaizen Glass Solutions. They offer a variety of training programs, ranging from auto glass replacement repair, A-dash training, flat glass training, tinting, and even automotive detailing. Uh, if you have any questions about that, get a hold of KaizenGlassSolutions.com. K-A-I-Z-E-N-G-L-A-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. Highs and glass solutions. So I know the trainers with uh, the glass replacement repair and ADAS trainers, and you were getting top-notch training from those guys. And if they're going to bring that top-notch level on, they're going to have that same level of training from all trainers across the board with them. Uh, that's that's what you need to do man you need to go get yourself some training and start in the right career path this way or if you're a seasoned vet and you just want to sharpen those skills or learn something new there's not been a single class that i've not been in that i haven't learned something new no matter what class it is no matter what organization it's with i always learn something new even if it's from a new guy coming in that i don't know much about so get a hold of kaizen glass solutions they are this month's sponsor put them on a glass podcast Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is James, and uh, today's guest is... Uh, Bob Stenzel from Seco. Thank you very much, James. Oh, you're very welcome. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, just given the fact that you are my go-to, my sales rep, and... Let the listeners in on how, how many times do I call you throughout the year? <laughs> <laughs> far too many, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, right? No, I, you know, I, I, I love it, uh, Jim. Uh, you know, you're, you're definitely one of the, uh, you know, one of the pinnacles of the, uh, the industry, in my, my opinion. Right. Uh, there's certain guys that do it the right way. Right. Want to continue to learn uh, with your experience uh, winning Autoglass uh, Tech Olympics. I mean, you're the guy, right? And so I know you and I bounce ideas uh, back and forth, uh, you know, against each other. And, uh, you know, I don't always have the answer, but sometimes you pose some interesting questions and, uh, you know, it, it spurs us uh, within Sika to, to go back and look at those things. And so, you know, we appreciate that. Uh, you know, all the information, all the technical information that we've acquired and accumulated throughout the years, our, our, our uh, certification manual, you know, that's really interaction between, technicians and, and us in the labs, right? I mean, if we guys in the labs kind of figure it out, right, that's probably not going to be ideal. And so uh, just that interaction with guys that, uh, you know, want to get better, you know, understand that it's, you know, these are safety devices. We want to make sure we're doing safe installations because there are, you know, families out there that are, uh, you know, they're relying on us to do the right thing. And so, you know, we appreciate the heck out of any questions. I encourage them, right? Uh, all technicians, I give out my name and number and say, hey, give me a call, right? And uh, let's see if we can invent the uh, better mousetrap. So uh, appreciate it very much. Well, like, you know, like you were saying there, it's the, the uh, interaction between the sales rep or your trainer, however you want to view it. And 
I appreciate Sika, and I'm sure others do it as well, but Sika has never stopped me and said, this is the way we do it, and this is why. You guys have always taken it back, hashed it out, and then come to me and be like, okay, this is why we feel it needs to be done this way. So, Bob, go ahead to a little bit into your background of how you got uh, to where you are as a sales rep, because you haven't always been my trainer. Uh, no, that's true. So I started in Sika in uh, September of 1996. Uh, been there ever since. It's a great group of guys. Uh, you know, I, I never thought I would be any uh, at any company for, you know, closing in on 30 years. But uh, it's really the people at Sika that make the difference, right? And, and how they go about doing things, right? I mean, we've always been a company that shared information, right? Uh, and, and the guys in our technical department, the guys in our marketing department, they just do a great job of really funneling information, listening to, you know, the, the ideas that we come back with uh, from the field and, uh, and, and really work on those projects, right? And so I started in the uh, engineering uh, group, uh, working uh, in our industrial uh, group, which was handling everything from appliances to, to trucks and trailers and things of that nature. And probably about uh, 15 years ago, I was introduced into being the uh, engineer for the aftermarket group. And so I've been there ever since. So I worked about 10 years uh, as an application engineer for that group um, and then moved into a sales role in 2016, covering uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky. And so uh, the walls were kind of closing in on me. I thought I could, you know, went as far as I, I could go really with the engineering and I really wanted to do something else, right? I, I love interacting with people. And so, you know, that the sales role gives me that opportunity to go out and, uh, you know, help people get better and uh, uh, interact and, uh, you know, just kind of be the urethane expert or department for, you know, for, for shops uh, that need that kind of, uh, or want that kind of uh, support. So it's been great, uh, you know, loved every second of it. Yeah, and that's one thing that I appreciate the most about you is the fact that you were in that engineering department and you know how the product works inside and out. And I have the great fortune of just being like, hey, Bob, this is a technical question and you usually have the answers or like you said, you find the answers. So with on top of that, I touched upon it in a couple different episodes and then Mark also, uh, Mark O'Brien, by the way, he's one of your coworkers. He also encouraged me, whether if not with you, with him, about tackling the weather. And we're going to go season by season. And for us in the great white north here, um, we are in winter. And we've talked about the difference of cold installations. And we also talked to the Auto Glass Safety Council last week about this. Um, Bob, what are some of the precautions uh, when the temperature dips below that 40 degree mark, because that's when my personal experience, I see things starting to take a different tactile approach to the installation of the job. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, just, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, it's just human nature, right? <laughs> uh, maybe mammals, mammals in general, right? That the cold doesn't feel good. Right. And <laughs> no, so, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be unusual to expect, uh, you know, guys to take uh, shortcuts without even, you know, necessarily understanding that what they're doing might be compromising the installation, right? Uh, plastics become more brittle and break and, you know, just adds to frustration, right? And uh, the last thing we want is to be frustrated uh, when we're out doing a job, right, uh, for a customer. 
there are shops, I think, like Richardson, that you know they they do those those jobs indoors when it gets uh, below forty, right? That's yes, kind of their their mantra. Some guys are thirty two. Some guys say, hey, I go down to twenty. But there are some guys that you know they're out there in the teens and even single digits, and so it does uh, it does cause a little bit of um, you know you got to be careful, right? You got to be careful when you're doing those jobs, right? And so first thing is you know the adhesive, right? You're going to have to heat it up somehow, right? And I know a lot of guys throw it up on the dashboard, right? That may not be the safest way to do it, but hey, that's what we see guys doing, right? But there are some some heating bag options out there. Um, that, uh, you know, work really well to get that temperature of that urethane up in that, you know, 80 degree range, right? Where now it's, it's gunnable, it's toolable, all those things, it works easy. It flows into the, uh, into the you know, onto the surface. It wets out that surface pretty good. And so, uh, and then from a, from a gun standpoint, right? Just being able to gun it out, right? I mean, if you're yeah. trying to gun out urethane that's 30 degrees, uh, you're probably gonna have a tough time with it, right? And so we've got to acclimate that material to a little bit higher temperature so that it's, that it's workable, right? Um, you know, as far as surface, <clears throat> as far as the surface, right? I mean, we, you know, we talk about the condensation, uh, you know, coming, uh, you know, taking a warm part out of the van and, and now we're bringing it out into the elements and, you know, we, we can see condensation starting there, right? That uh, uh, moisture precipitating, you know, and hitting onto that glass. And now we've got some condensation on there, right? Um, you know, we, we don't want to, we don't want to bond to that, right? We don't want that urethane to hit that and start to cure immediately. We want it to wet out that surface and kind of cure from the outside in slowly, uh, and build adhesion, right? One, and one so second, Bob. one second, Bob, I sure. think some things might be getting lost in translation. Can you explain, okay. you've said a couple of times, wet out that surface and we're talking about, sure. we're talking about moisture, but in your technical definition, wet out that surface is not moisture on the glass, leaving it set. Could you please explain yeah, abs that? Absolutely. Is? For sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's a great question. Uh, and thank you for stopping. It's, it's basically that, that, um, you know, as urethane cures, it, maybe get, this is a good definition. As urethane cures in the tube, right. And it gets stringy and a little bit harder, uh, you know, as it ages in that tube and say you're trying to gun it out and it's eight months old and, and maybe it's not quite as uh, uh, flowable as it used to be. Right. Um, it, it, it won't necessarily, it, it's, imagine it's a little bit thicker and so it doesn't wet out into that surface right and we want it to wet out into that surface to really get uh good contact with that surface right and so if the material is warmer right uh just by physics it's going to flow better it's going to flow into that ceramic uh print or the uh, the trimmed urethane bead even better right and so that's what we talk about wetting out that surface yeah not to be uh, confused with moisture on the surface but wetting out as far as that uh urethane encountering that substrate material and flowing good into it yeah so basically what Does you're that saying sense? okay yeah is to me a layman to me what you're basically saying is that material the viscosity is at a point to where it allows it to flow through all the mechanical bonding that you've created by a scuffing or the ceramic frit wetting out lets it flow and and uh, grip onto those surfaces that's a perfect explanation there, Jim. Okay. Yep, you nailed it. Yep, right. and so yep, and so that's what we're talking about. And so if we heat that material up right, it tends to flow better and and make better contact with that surface, right? So we always recommend at least you know with some of the thicker uh, materials, you probably you know sixty degrees is probably about the minimum you want, right? It reduces wear and tear on the gun, the battery life, all those sorts of things. Just makes it easier, pliable to deck that windshield, all those things that we're looking for to uh, you know to work with the urethane. So. 
Um, but it, yeah, as far as now we're talking about moisture from the air that's on the glass, right? Especially if we take that part out, right? It's warm. You know, it's not unusual for moisture to get on that surface, right? Um, and that's why, you know, we, we, you know, in those kind of conditions, we say, well, we, we don't necessarily want to prep that glass too early, right? Because we don't want moisture on that surface, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want to clean that glass after. We can clean it beforehand too, right? Take it out uh, and then maybe give it a, a light wipe because again, in cold temperatures, that glass cleaner can freeze, especially when you're talking yeah. the, the foaming, right? The foaming freezes very quickly and then it becomes kind of a bit of a pain. Um, and then we apply, you know, if, it, if it's a, a product where you use activator on it, right? You, you, on the glass, we yeah. apply activator and that can act a little bit as a drying agent too, right? Uh, it will, uh, you know, grab onto some of those moisture molecules and as it's evaporating, it will take those along with it. So a little bit of a drying, uh, you know, uh, process there too. And then we want to apply that, uh, that activator and it's good down to three minute flash off time, all the way down to 15 degrees Fahrenheit. If you're doing some installs all the way down to zero to 50, you know, 15 degrees, it is 10 minute flash off time, right? If you're on a, on a porous surface, you know, again, you can use the activator on the trimmed urethane bead. If you think that there's some moisture on there that we want to get rid of, or we waited right, maybe it's still on there a little bit, right? We can apply activator pro and that will help as a drying agent a little bit there too. But again, on a porous surface, regardless of temperature, it is 10 minute flash off time for activator pro. Okay. And I know from experience and you know as well that you need for off-gassing purposes, guys, especially in the cold, you need to make sure you're waiting your flash off time, no matter what that might be per your urethane manufacturer. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I see a lot of guys that uh, will apply activator or will apply primer. And as soon as the solvent is flashed off, they think, oh, I can go ahead and apply. No, that's not that's not the case. Right. The adhesion promoters uh, take some time in the activator to, to bond to that surface. Right. There's some chemical uh uh, operations that are happening there. So we want to make sure that we're giving it that three minute flash off time. Uh, and then with the primer, it's a urethane, right? It's basically urethane. And so it's still grabbing moisture from the air. It's reacting. So you got to give that time to react before we put urethane on that surface, right? Not saying you can't, not saying it won't work, right? It's a pretty robust system. But when we do all of our testing, that's when it performs the best is when we allow it to uh, to flash off to the, to the numbers that we've applied, right, and just follow those recommendations, and really you shouldn't have any problems. Okay. So now we're at the point where we've got our glass ready. We've got our urethane to where it's gunnable now or flowable. We're at the body. Okay, so now you have a very cold surface of the body. Um, it's super hard to bring that body temperature up to something that is, I guess you would want to say, uh, appropriate for flash off times and everything because I know you said zero outside but zero outside sometimes that metal could be in the negative temperatures when it hits zero am I correct or just sure oh, yeah absolutely so you know when we talk about temperatures we're really just talking about the ambient temperatures right, right? Mm -hmm. um yep and so if it's zero outside that's that's the temperature that we're concerned with okay okay See, that's good to know because I would just assume that you know like if it's 115 outside that pinch weld's more on the lines of, you know, 150, 100, you know, and then if we're oh, concerned oh, about for... ambient temperatures only, then that, that definitely changes the game a little bit. Yeah, I would say, you know, in our recommendation, right, uh, some of our products go up to 100 and 120 degrees, right? And again, when you when you are in those hot type south 
west desert uh, temperatures where that body could be shit. It could be 170 degrees, maybe higher, right? So it, it's very hot. And so the, the risk is is um, the the product kind of cooking, right, at that point, right? Yep. Cooking, it's it's reacting very quickly, right? Even curing amongst itself, even with, with the absence or with very little ambient uh, humidity out there. So now it's, it's cooking, it's, 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 it's uh, um, curing amongst itself, and it's trying to kick out CO2 gas at the same time, right, as part of the reaction. Yep. And so that's when you can kind of get that Swiss cheese looking uh, a bead, right? Uh, yep. Sometimes you'll see that you cut out a, a, you know, a, a glass part and, and there's some Swiss cheese looking material in there. That's <laughs> usually what's happened, right? It, it's joint design, right? How much moisture was allowed to get in there? Yep. Usually it's a wider bead. So you know, there's a lot of CO2 being generated and it's got to go a long way to get out of the bead, right? And then you get that Swiss cheese look, right? Very rare. You know, it's, it's not really ever a, a safety issue, right? I've never seen it get to the point where it's a safety issue, but you yep. could get some leakage issues, right, with, uh -huh. with that. And so we always recommend, yeah, when it's that hot, right, try and get it indoors, at least do it in the shade. Let that thing cool off a little bit because it will you know, it will cook that stuff and, you know, and maybe change, uh, you know, change the, uh, you know, the final product. Okay. So now do we have to worry about a similar thing in the cold weather when it gets down to the uh, cold, cold temperatures for us? You know, not, not really. Right. I mean, it, you know, we've installed, right. And then temperatures have plummeted, you know, down to minus 20, say, right. Yeah. And, and there's, there's no issue with that really. Once it's applied, you shouldn't have any problem, right? If it's zero degrees, you apply it, right? You shouldn't have any problems with it even getting colder after that point, right? It's cold or the, the urethane is warm, right? We float, right? It's wetted out those surfaces. We'll make good contact. Uh, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a safe installation. Um, yeah, even if it gets below zero degrees. Okay. Now, we've all cut out glass when it's cold outside. And uh, what makes cured urethane so damn hard to cut out in the cold weather <laughs> yeah well yeah kind of as you know as we talked about wetting out right the viscosity changes well it's not really viscosity when it's when it's uh, a solid but it is uh it, you know it is kind of uh movable right there's some modulus there right it gets mm -hmm. stiffer as it gets colder and so it becomes harder to cut out right anything you know if it's cold frozen right it's gonna be harder to cut out than if it's you know much warmer and softer and so that's one of the things that we look at whenever we're developing a product, right? We, we do a, a cutout test, right? We've got a wire that's uh, attached to a, uh, to a piece of equipment that pulls it at a certain rate, right? And we use actual cutout wire that, uh, you know, you'd use in an installation, right? Uh -huh. And uh, it, it just pulls right through there. And we've got a certain limit that we say, hey, that's too high. Right. And we'll do it at all different temperatures to make sure that guys it's workable in those conditions that they need it to be workable. Right. I've seen guys using products where, you know, it's cold and they've got that cold knife in there and they're basically rocking that whole car trying to cut through it. Well, that's that's dangerous. Right. It's dangerous yeah. for the for the quality of the installation. It's dangerous for the guy that's doing it. Right. And so that's one of the properties we definitely pay close attention to. Right. We need it to be high modulus. Right. For all those jobs that require high modulus uh, applications. But, uh, you know, we need it to be workable at the same time. And so it's, it's a little bit of a del delicate balance there for us. OK. Now, is it harder to get that balance with a quick driveway time like a 30 minute driveway time as opposed to a two hour driveway time you know typically the typically the faster curing products are stiffer right it's just the nature right uh, 
that those guys, you know, they want, we market our products, most of them at the higher end as an all-in-one modulus, which means you can use them on cars that don't require high modulus and, and cars that do require high modulus, right? And so, yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, when you get to those higher end, they want that product, those properties, right? And so, yeah, it definitely becomes harder to cut out as you get up into those 30-minute, 60-minute products as opposed to something that, you know, is eight hours or even longer, right? Okay, so now we've got our body, uh, our glass out. Now we're getting ready to trim down, which this is where sharp tools, when Bob was talking about how it is harder to cut it out, but it's also harder to trim it down to the actual level. So this is where you need your sharp tools and everything. But when the importance of cleaning the pinch well prior to trimming down is pretty important at all weather conditions. But in the winter, it's even more important, in my opinion, because once you trim that down, you could have some residual that has frozen there and it starts to warm up a little bit just from being, you know, being worked with. And now you have to activate because that water has ran down into the uh, into the pinch weld area. When it is in the bonding surface and it's cold, Bob, and you have the primer there, the, the flash off time is longer. But why is it so important to wait that when it's in the bonding area and not outside the bonding? Are, no, are you talking uh, when we apply, say, activator to the pinch weld? Uh, no, when we apply the actual primer. I went on a little tangent there. My brain kind of went okay. squirrel moment. That's, but like, say, we're trimming fine. down, and because it's so hard, we're pushing a little harder, and we're gouging a little bit more in our bonding area. And now we use okay. our actual primer to slow down the uh, rate of corrosion or the rate of you know something getting in there. So we seal it off. We have to wait sure. longer because of the cold weather in that bonding area, correct? Uh, you know what? Uh, so our primer, Secret Primer 207, is a three-minute flash-off time all the way down to zero degrees. So, so it's not what necessarily... <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry? So yeah, ignore, ignore it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, the, yeah, the only difference is is activator, right? That, okay. you know, in colder temperatures and on a, on a porous surface like the trimmed urethane bead, then that's 10 minute flash off time. But the primer itself, nope, as long as it's clean underneath there and an activator in cold temperature works as a great cleaner, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I know some guys use glass cleaner or water or something, but that can freeze very quickly at low temperatures, right? Yes. Uh, the freezing point of activator pro is, is pretty low. I forgot minus 40 or 50 or something like that. Uh, so it won't freeze in those low temperatures. And so it's a great cleaner to get in there with a towel, right, to clean it up uh, before you put that primer on top of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it. It works very well. So Yeah, as long as you're waiting your flash time. you know. If you yeah, yeah, it, definitely. All right. All right, yes, so for sure. Now we've ran our, we've trimmed down, we've done all that. We've put our urethane bead down. Now the rate of cure with that open urethane to the air, is it quicker in the winter? it's actually slower okay ah. so it, it so it, so a couple things happen when urethane cures right it it's dependent on temperature right and so something about about every 20 degrees fahrenheit a temperature reaction will double right and so say you say you have a, a, a urethane bead and it skins over at uh, 10 minutes uh you know at 75 degrees fahrenheit well at 95 degrees fahrenheit that may skin over at five minutes right yep. and it depends on what it, it depends on moisture but from just a the uh the uh the heat right accelerating the the processing of curing right 
it's going to react faster. So if it had the same amount of moisture at both of those, right, we would expect it to skin about five minutes versus 10 minutes being 20 degrees hotter, right? And so when it gets cold, right, a couple things happen, right? It's going to react slower, right? The chemistry is just going to react slower just because it's cold. There's not as much energy. Uh, and then there's moisture in the air that we have to have to look at, right? And so there's a couple of things, right? There's uh, There's absolute moisture humidity right and that just measures how much how much does this cubic meter of air hold right is it is it three grams or six grams or whatever regardless of temperature that's what that cubic meter of air is holding right mm -hmm. and so when it's cold or warm right we talk about relative humidity right when it's relative humidity um, it's measured against what is the total saturation right say at 90 degrees what's the absolute most moisture that that cubic meter can hold before it starts precipitating out or raining or, you know, falling out of there, right? How much can it hold? Maybe it, maybe that's 10 grams or whatever that number is. So when it's warm, the relative humidity, it can hold more moisture. When it's cold, it holds less moisture, right? And so that's the second part that works against you with urethanes, right? It's cold and it's dry, Right, and that's typically when you will see longer drive away times in a lot of the drive away time charts for different products. Yep. Uh, also, yeah, and so, but there's also another component that happens when urethane is cold because I get calls, hey, you know, it, it's wet in the center, right? I, I cut this thing out for whatever reason, it's wet in the center. Uh, is this a safe installation? You know, it's been three weeks, it's still wet. Yes, it's absolutely still safe. In fact, uh, at cold temperatures, that liquid portion of the urethane actually solidifies a little bit, right? It gets mm -hmm. stiffer. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, when we test these things, we've got an internal test uh, equipment that we, we designed uh, that we do a bunch of uh, a pull speed uh, tests on, right? And so it, it simulates a windshield crash test, right? Yep. And so when we test, when we test uh, these things, we look for a couple of things. We look for ultimate strength. What's the PSI value of this size bead? And then we also look for energy absorption, right? And that's really based on the skin on the side of that bead as it's being pulled apart, right? How stringy is that, right? How much energy can that absorb, right? And uh -huh. so that's why we need like a certain thickness of that bead, right? We're looking for at least four to five millimeters. Uh, and that gives us that string that on each side. And so uh, so that's really where the, the, the safe drive away time comes from or the minimum drive away time, right? Uh -huh. That we call it now. Uh, and so... But when it's cold and that center gets a little bit frozen, it actually kicks our numbers up quite a bit, right? That PSI value, the energy absorption, those things go up in value. So I always tell people, you know, if we're going to run crash tests, we'll run them at 20 degrees all day and we'll pass every single one of them, right? Yeah. Because it's it's easy, right? It's easy at those temperatures, uh -huh. right? And so when we run our tests, when our, our crash tests, we, we typically run them at about 75 degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh one it's a very popular temperature throughout the united states for most of the year mm -hmm. uh and two it's one of the more difficult uh periods to, to uh, crash that uh and pass it right and so um and so yeah so it will slow down it won't react quite as quick right uh but from a safety standpoint it it's still uh there and and more so at cold temps yeah, and what I'm getting is like, you know, your tool ability, you still want to get that windshield sat in that window, and you want to get it decked down to the, when you're talking four to five millimeters, you're talking, that's the amount of product that's compressed between the windshield and the uh, pinch weld, correct? 
Yes, yep, okay. the fresh new urethane. Yep, we yep. want that about a minimum of you know, four to yeah, five milliliters. Yeah, minimum, but you don't want it to be 10 to 12 because that's too much product. Decking is all off. But our friends out in the West who have hotter temperatures all year long, they need to be hoofing it or else they – or we do here in the summer when it gets, you know, high humidity and, and uh, high temperatures, you can't wait around to set the windshield like you can in the winter. Sure, yeah, absolutely, right? You you. It's reacting very quickly, especially if you're talking 30-minute products, right? There's always a balance there. We want to make sure you have enough working time to work with the product, uh, but also that it's safe to drive away in 30 minutes, right? And so there's a balancing act there. Um, so the uh, when we test our um, our skin time, right, mm -hmm. uh, we, we tested at uh, about 73 degrees Fahrenheit and 50% relative humidity, right? That's kind of our standard, right? And we've got a range that it should fall into and say, say it's, uh, you know, Seek uh, Attack Ultimate, a 30-minute product, right? And, and maybe that, uh, you know, it's eight minutes uh, um, skin time at those temperatures, right? Uh -huh. Well, we know that as it gets hot and humid, right, it's going to get faster, right? That skin is going to go down to maybe three or four or five minutes, right? Whatever that is, right? Uh, and so, yeah, in, in those hot temperatures, right, you, you have to hustle a little bit, right? You can't, uh, you can't sit around and, and, and take your smoke break then, right? You got to get that <laughs> thing back. And again, we're talking about wetting out that surface, right? If it starts to skin, right? Most likely when you deck that windshield, a lot of that skin is going to break and you're going to get down to fresh urethane anyway, right? If it's a very thin skin, I mean, you know, obviously not something you can tap and, and it's dry already, right? Uh, but, um, you know, you, you have to hustle because we want to get good wet out of that surface uh, with fresh urethane. And so, yeah, a little bit of hustle. Uh, but, you know, if you ever used our hot apply products, right? And that's kind of always oh, what yeah. I what I, you know, bring guys back to, right? Oh, I don't have enough time with an eight minute uh, skin time product. Well, if you ever used ASAP uh, plus in the, in the winter time, you have got to hustle because that is a product that comes out at about a hundred and, you know, 190 degrees Fahrenheit. And if you're shooting it in 20 degrees, it's cooling off and becoming very thick, very quick. Very and you're going to have a hard time decking it if you don't have that thing set in about four minutes. Oh, yeah, 100%. I've done the ASAP. I love that glue. But you had to be hustling in the winter. So mm -hmm. what I take it is cool to ply, even though people switched in the summer to cool to ply, you're actually better off to use the cool to ply in the winter and the heated product in the summer. Is that is that like a good uh, assumption? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that because okay. typically when guys – use a product they use it year-round not always yeah. right some guys say i use this in the summer this in the winter but if you're an asap plus guy you use it year-round for the most part oh yeah you right do. that stuff was awesome. and, and it is and, and and again why it works so well is because of all the properties you could get when it was hot right it, it tools very nicely it decks very nicely mm -hmm. it cools to the point where it holds that windshield up very quickly right it's yeah. it's it, it, within a couple minutes you're not going to be able to move that thing one way or another and because it's heated, it flows and wets out that surface, right? So the adhesion is kind of through the roof of those products, right? So you can get away with maybe a little less surface preparation than you can with a cold applied, uh -huh. right? Um, not saying, you know, cold applies are great. They've come a long, long way. But, uh, you know, you could probably cut some corners with the hot applies and still get away with it, where sometimes maybe you won't get away uh, with that with cold applies, right? You got to be a little bit more on your P's and Q's. Okay. So let's let's switch like back to what you were saying. Uh, let's give some terminology. I'm sure everybody listening has 
went through some form of urethane training. If you haven't, please do so. Bob, explain to them what skinning is and how when it skins, you deck it, it explodes past it to help if you're kind of getting that thin skin. Please explain how urethane cures to what a skin is or green strength. Sure, sure. And, and so I'll give you... I'll give you a couple of uh, examples, right, uh, of how we test for skinning, right? Again, we, we tested at those conditions that we talked about, 73 degrees Fahrenheit, 50% relative humidity, right? And we've got equipment down in our, uh, in our plant in uh, where our QC department is. Uh, they test every batch that comes out, right? And uh, they, they will lay some beads of urethane down, whatever the batch is, if it's, if it's ultimate or Mach 30, Mach 60. And they've got these this machine where it kind of drags a needle through through the urethane, right? It'll slowly drag it through. And at some point you can see the, the urethane start to gather at the uh, at that pin that's being dragged through. And it's also giving you some digital readings to say, hey, this is the point where through history and experience, we say it's skinned, right? Now up when I worked in Madison Heights, we didn't have that equipment but we would do kind of a little bit different, uh, a little bit more um, primitive uh, method, but still work pretty well, right? We would take a, a brand new clean polyethylene eyedropper, right? That you could get at uh, CVS or wherever, right? And we would lay our beads down in those conditions, the 73 degrees Fahrenheit, 50% relative humidity. And then over time, lightly tap that, the head of that or the bulb of the uh, the um, uh, eyedropper onto the urethane, uh, and it, it, when it's still transferring material, that's not that's not skinned. At some point, you'll put that eyedropper onto that onto that uh, urethane bead, and it will pull a little bit away, but it'll still stay skinned. Right? It won't transfer any to that urethane dropper. And so at that point, we say, hey, that is tack free. Right, what we call tack free it has a little bit of a skin, and those numbers correlate very well to the equipment that we have in our Lindhurst operation. Right, it's just done a little bit more primitive, mm -hmm. um, and so so as long as that skin isn't too thick, right? I mean, you can't let it sit for twenty minutes and then think you're going to go ahead and, and push that glass and it's going <laughs> to break any any of that skin, right? But if it's a very you know, if you're a minute or two past that point, most likely you're not going to have any problems, right? You're going to push that thing down, right? that skin is going to split as that bead is being pressed down, right? It's, it's going to be squashed a little bit. And again, if, it, if it's a thick skin on there, you're, you're kind of toast, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you will break through some of that skin. Now, again, our recommendation is, hey, always deck that within, you know, the, the open times that we give you, yeah. right? I mean, that's ideal, right? Yeah. It, it takes all the guesswork out of it, right? And yep. so I don't want to say, I don't want to give a, a, it's an endorsement to say, hey, you can wait two, three minutes after that skin time. Yeah, no, no it's not. Right? No. Yeah, you're, you're still probably going to be okay because the systems are very robust. But, uh, you know, so that's what can happen, right? Especially you're hot and humid, right? You're moving, you're hustling. And, you know, that, that skin may be starting to form even though you may not even realize it, right? <laughs> there, there's some curing going on at that surface. And so it's probably happening every day where a little bit of that skin is, is being broken, right? And decking yeah. and. And to be honest, if it was if it was a major issue, we'd be hearing about it. But, you know, we, we don't really hear those complaints of, you know, loss of adhesion to the glass uh, where it could be pinpointed back to, uh, you know, somebody waiting too long. Right. Not saying it doesn't. It hasn't happened, but it's very rare that it does happen because, again, the, the system's pretty robust. OK, so let's go back again with the layman's term. My understanding of this is and correct me if I'm wrong. 
your thing appears from the outside in, which is why you develop that skin, is because that skin is referring to already cured urethane. And what Bob's talking yes. about is think about your grandma when she used to bake, she'd stick a toothpick in, and when there's no longer any material on the toothpick, then you knew your cake was done. So the same thing they're doing with the needle and with the eyedropper. When no more urethane is transferred to the material when they touch it, that means that outside layer is kind of cured. Then when you deck it, and what he's talking about with exploding, is new material that hasn't cured yet or started to skin is still on the inside of that. Think of like a, uh, oh, a Tootsie Pop or something with liquid inside like a candy. When you push down on that, it, it causes that outside skin to tear because the new material that hasn't cured yet is pushing out. And then it'll start gripping and grabbing onto the exposed glass or exposed pinch weld or anything like that that it needs to to create its uh, adhesion, correct? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Okay. Within re Again, within reason. Within right? reason, within, within reason. You can't, yeah. yeah, within reason. Because once there's too much of a skin on it, think about it like uh, when it's cured too much, there is now a barrier for that uncured material inside to get out to start gripping on things. So that's why you need to make sure you're within your defi defined times from your urethane manufacturer to start decking that and creating that bond between the two, uh, actually between the three surfaces, the urethane, the glass, and the pinch weld, but mainly the urethane to connect those two surfaces. Don't wait too long. Do not wait too long. Get inside your material, but we're trying to explain the mechanism so you have an understanding and you can be better informed. Perfect. I'll get you an application for the lab, Jim. Yeah! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of times I do think there's a lot of things in our industry lost in translation. And here's the reason. Because I've taken a number of certifications from urethane manufacturers just by default of being a trainer, you know, for the Autoglass University, seeing and listening to all these things. And what's common terminology to you might not be common terminology to and it's common to me, but not might not be to that guy coming into the industry or that guy that's been in the industry for 20 years, and he doesn't know how to explain to his customer how the mechanisms work. Oh, it's skinned over. Oh, that's green strength. Oh, that's but doesn't actually know the technical terminology. And that's what I'm hoping to accomplish with this show is to give the technician a more solid base so when he goes to rush that decking or rush – following the urethane right behind the primer without waiting his flash times, that he'll be like, whoa, 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 wait. That's not how that works. I could have a potential failure because I understand how this goes together now, like pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, Jim, that, that's yep, that's a great explanation. And, and, you know, it's a very fragmented industry, right? There's, there's companies that do very well with their training, right, and, and certifications and all that and keep on top of it. But there's a, a lot of guys that are, hey, you know, my Uncle Joe taught me how to install glass, and now I do glass, and I've been doing it for 20 years, right, without really knowing, yeah. right? Uh, there's there's not necessarily a barrier to get into the industry, right? Uh, oh. My daughter could set, buy a set of tools tomorrow and start installing auto glass, and nobody would know the difference, right? Yep. yep. Uh, and so, you know, it, it is hard sometimes to get to all the all the shops out there, right? And so, you know, what you're doing with this podcast is fantastic, right? To me... Uh, things like this are just, they just help the industry, right? Uh, you know, the AGSC, Autoglass University, all those things that are training, our certification, our competitor certification, right? Uh, it just makes technicians better and ultimately the end user safer, right? And that's 
That's the bottom line, right? We want to make sure that these are safe installations that nobody gets hurt. Uh, and so, you know, we're kind of an open book, right? If we know information, hey, we, 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 we give it out, right? And so yeah. I definitely encourage to call me all the time, right? I've got other sales reps, if they're unsure, you know, call me, we can talk it out. We talk to our, uh, you know, our application engineer that, that handles it right now, who's been at Tika for a long, long time is really good. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it, it just, again, sharing that information, right. And making, uh, you know, making it better offering certifications to you know, to one man shops, I don't care. Right. If you, you're a one man shop, yeah. let's do it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing, one thing that we've released recently is, uh, we, we have, have some interactive uh, uh, training uh, modules on YouTube. So if you, if you go to the YouTube search bar and you put in AGR interactive training videos, it's going to pull up about, I think there's 18 different videos there that Sika has produced, right? And it just tells you the basics of how to use, you know, the different products, the different steps in the process. So if you can't get to your Sika rep or you're just not sure or you want to look into it a little bit further, I encourage you to go there, right? And just kind of look at the different modules. You'll probably pick up one or two things that you didn't know before. Okay, so right? what was but that again? What was that? What, so did if they go to YouTube and what do they do? Yep, go to the YouTube and search in the search bar AGR interactive training videos. Perfect. Thank it's available. You. Yep, it's available in English and it's also been translated into Spanish as well because uh, you know, bilingual sales reps aren't easy to come by. And so, uh, you know, there are uh, Spanish speaking individuals uh, that, you know, want to learn, want to do a better job. And so we've made it uh, a little bit convenient for those guys to get some some training as well. It's it's not a, it's not a replacement. I wouldn't say, Jim, it's not a replacement for, you know, getting into contact with your Sika sales rep and having them come out and, and bounce questions and that interactive. Right. Guys usually learn better, I think, by being shown and, and demonstrating and and maybe they do some of the, you know, some of the demonstration themselves, right? So that they can, hey, this is the way I do it. Uh, and it also breaks down the barriers of, hey, I, you know, I don't know my Sika sales rep, right? But once you once you connect kind of on a personal level, right? It, it makes it easier to pick up the phone call and say, hey, I've got this problem, right? You know, what do you think? And then we can talk those things out. So, but it's a great start. It's a great start for guys that just want to learn a little bit more or just want a little bit of a refresher. Maybe they forgot one or two things, right? Go to those videos, and uh, you can kind of pick and choose, you know, what what interests you to, to look at. Okay. So I agree with the videos, obviously, and I agree with any kind of education, but I also am a strong supporter of meeting, knowing, and having that personal relationship with a representative because of the call you can bounce ideas off of, but also when they're there in person, you get that hands-on. They can actually – give you more of an understanding you know you can pause a video but you can't ask questions to it you still have to try to figure it out whereas if you have your rep on hand you can ask that question it is just bugging you no matter what it is um so bob giving you are a guy that goes all around trains a bunch of people what is the biggest or hardest obstacle guys are facing in the industry right now when it comes to adhesive at just urethane in general, what is the biggest hurdle people are facing? You know, I, you know, I wouldn't say that there's anything that's major that I say, boy, that, you know, that is really, you know, it, it's probably just understanding the products, right? Again, it's on a certain way, uh, how, you know, how somebody that they know did that, right? Without understanding like the terminology or maybe areas where there's pitfalls and they may not know it, right? Again, 
laying down activator and then laying a bead of urethane right on top of it, right, very quickly, right? They may not know that. And so it's probably a little bit different. It's probably a, a, a mismatch of uh, different things that are going on out there. But I don't know that there's one thing that I would say, boy, I wish they were better at this. You know, I, I probably would may, maybe one thing is understanding minimum drive away time, right? And knowing the product that you're using. I mean, I, I have gone to many people and said, hey, what you're using there is a six hour product. And they're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. And didn't know that they're they're liable for that installation. Right. If somebody were to get into an accident right before that six hours. And again, they yeah, first of all, you got to keep good records, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of shops, I would say 90% of the shops out there probably don't keep good records. Right. And in this litigious society, right. Record keeping is, is kind of King, right? The last thing you want to do is, is lose your business and not be able to, to prove the things that are, are happening. Right. And so keeping good records is paramount, keeping up with your certifications, right. Mm-hmm. So that you know how to use those products, right. Hire new guys in, Hey, I, you know, if you're a shop of 10 guys and you hire a new guy in, don't wait, man. Give me a call. I'll come out and certify that one guy, right? Yeah. So that everybody is on the same page. So, yeah, I would, you know, I would just say, yeah, keeping up on the training and then the record keeping is probably an area where, you know, we could do better as an industry for sure. Well, I also have had a few people who are like, well, we can't afford those products that are more expensive. The minimum driveway times are faster and stuff. And it's like, to me, it's like, yeah. but still record keeping. And uh, adhering to the guidelines that your price point uh, provides you, a six-hour driveway time, a three-hour driveway time. But also, Sika is really good, and I'm, I know all the other competitors are probably really good, too, of giving you a sticker, which that sticker is your lot number being traceable. But they also want to know certain things on that sticker in that, what was your relative humidity? What was the temperature outside? What time, mm-hmm. you know, what time did you re- uh, do the job, you know? Um, those are pretty important. Hygrometers are relatively cheap, and but our phones do it for us in an area. It doesn't, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't take that much more to put those things on the paperwork because if there is a recall or there is an issue, they could say, okay, well, the humidity was here. Now when we go do our testing, we know what to look for and we know how to break this down and fix the issue you may be having. So. Bob, you're absolutely correct. Record keeping is extremely important, and it costs zero dollars. Zero dollars yeah. to record keep. Yep, yep. And I think it, it it speaks to the robustness of the systems that are out there, right? Because people don't typically have problems or major problems. They just say, yeah, I had that leaker, and I, I just went back out and fixed it without really understanding the core reason why that thing came back, yeah. right? And, and, you know, maybe they are a little hesitant to reach out because they don't have the records of what they did and used the, you know, on that job. So it's like, yeah, I use, I think I use your product, right? Yeah. And they're probably a little hesitant <laughs> to reach out, right? But, but in the end, again, everyone in the country seems like they're off to, you know, to be suing somebody else. And so to me, as a business owner, you know, it just makes sense to do it, right? And yeah. again, if, if it's, if it's a secret product that you have problems with, well, you know, you should be able to, to come back to us and say, hey, Sika, you know, I did everything that you said to do. And, you know, I still had, you know, issue X or whatever, right? Whatever it is. But right now you don't have a leg to stand on, right? Yeah. You, you're kind of out there. And, uh, you know, if you got a bunch of technicians running around out there and they're all doing kind of different things, who knows what the heck they're doing, right? And so at a minimum, better record keeping, I think, is just step one of, uh, you know, just running a business. Yeah. 
Okay, so now this question I've asked a few other urethane people, and I'll ask you as well. Why are we changing from safe driveway time to minimum driveway time? Why is the terminology changing after all those years of getting used to saying FBAT? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. And I think, you know, SICA was, was uh, okay, you know, with our safe driveway time, but the industry standards seem to be switching to, to MDAT, right? And it probably is a little bit more descriptive, right? Um, just, you know, minimum, hey, this is the minimum time you need to wait to, uh, to release that vehicle, right? And it just means a little bit something more, a little bit more definitive uh, for, that, for that technician, right? Um, and so, you know, are they interchangeable? Yeah, probably, right? Probably not too much difference uh, in the nomenclature between the two. But, uh, you know, we're trying to stay, you know, with the standards uh, that, you know, kind of the industry is setting. And so we said, okay, minimum driveway time, it, you know, it does make sense. And so we, we made that switch. Yeah. And I'm on board with it. I just know I have had <laughs> a little issue with always putting S that instead of M that. And it's like, no, it's, it's, we're changing. So I'm yeah. holding myself accountable by trying to bring <laughs> it up. Like, okay, because you know, it is, if the industry changes, I want to change with it. I don't want to be stuck in and be treading water. I want to be trying to lead with the forefront of information. So that that's it, it right? It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We wanted, we wanted to be consistent with the industry. Right. And why throw another term out there that's confusing that they, you know, it, again, it, you know, we're all the same now pretty much. And, and I find myself doing it too, Jim. I, I still sometimes will type out SDAT and it's like, nope, you got to go back and, and it's MDAT. Right. And so, yeah. After many years, that's uh, finally starting to sink in, and uh, I think I'm pretty good at it now. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, slip occasionally. Okay, so I got a few more questions for you. Um, sure. Because we're coming up on 50 minutes. Okay, so yeah, I've been seeing a lot with a well-known warehouse pushing expired product. Um, why is it so important to follow the expiration dates marked on your products? and not use the expired product. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, we talked about urethane curing up in a tube, right, uh, as it gets close to expiration, right? And we talked about the, the wetting out of that surface, right? And so, you know, if, it, if it's starting to become stringy, especially if it's if it's past the expiration date, depending on how it's, uh, how it's stored, right? If it's stored in a, you know, hot, humid warehouse in the summer and it's up on upper shelves, right, and it's just baking at 110 degrees day after day, well, that stuff is going to start to cure amongst itself, even with the absence of, of outside moisture, right? It will cure amongst itself and become harder, uh, harder to work with, harder to wet out. And so, you know, we've tested those products uh, to that point and said, hey, you know, nine months, we're, we're damn confident, right? Even under less than ideal storage conditions, we recommend below 77 degrees Fahrenheit to get the full shelf life, right? But, uh, you know, even under less than ideal, you're still going to be okay, you know, uh, going up to that, uh, that expiration date. Now, I'm not saying that there are some times where, you know, we've got product, we, we've had some extra product and, you know, we'll run some tests on it internally and we may extend it a short period after that, but in very controlled circumstances, right? We typically don't let those things out to just a general warehouse to hand out like candy, right? We find, you know, some bigger shops or whatever to, to say, hey, can you, can you use this? You know, we've tested it. We're giving you a letter here of certification that this product is good till this date, right? And so I, I wouldn't say it's impossible uh, to extend, but they should never willy-nilly say, yeah, it was, extend, you know, it was expired on, on July 31st, 
but you can still use it till August 31st without some backing of uh, the urethane manufacturer and some testing that's gone along to, to validate that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, it, yeah, it's just, hey, products cure, right? They, they have to have a shelf life of some sort. And as they get older, those qualities that we're looking for diminish. Right. Oh. And so it's, it's just never a good idea. And not to mention the liability. Right. If you yeah. don't have something from your piece of manufacturer and something happens, I mean, assuming you kept good records. Right. Yep. But, you know, <laughs> that you said, yeah, I use expired urethane. Well, you're kind of going to be out there on an island with, you know, without without any any hope, really, uh, because you went against what we recommended is the, uh, you know, the shelf life. Absolutely. OK, so next to last question. All right. So. Not so much with cartridges, okay? I've not heard too many people with this with cartridges, and I'm sure it's part of the manufacturing process, and you'll explain this to us. Sure. Loading a sausage pack or a uni pack or a foil pack, you know, you want to load it a certain direction. Sika says with the S down, and then you want to open it a certain way to avoid that curing chunks in the end of it being pushed out and left in your bead. Why, mm-hmm. why does that happen? Why would you even have to worry about that? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you, you know, I know at one point we said, hey, load it in a certain way because, uh, you know, those unipacks, they're, they're clamped at both ends. Right. And, and basically every every manufacturer of urethane out there uses the same equipment. Uh, right. Same packaging equipment, same clips, all that. And so we all run into this a little bit. I, you know, I hear somebody say, hey, your competitor, this never happens to. No, it happens to everybody. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Uh, you know, the, the, the best thing you can hope to do is control it, right? And sometimes it happens at one end, sometimes the other end. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, it's usually, Jim, uh, something that scheduled maintenance takes care of, right? We, we have scheduled maintenance that goes in. We check the settings on those, those uh, systems to make sure that they're at the right angle, they're clamped at the right, uh, you know, pressure, all those things, right? And so... Um, but sometimes they might get a little bit out of whack and, and then you get a little bit of curing. And so you'll say, well, why don't you just clamp it as hard as you can, you know, clamp it like hell so that no air can get in there whatsoever. Well, if you do that, number one, you can tear the foil, right? We've seen that in the past where we had some curing and, and we looked into it and, you know, we, we ended up cleaning out all the urethane of that bag, opening it up, right. And holding it up to some light and we see some pinhole light coming through there. So we know that some moisture was able to get in there and, and cause some curing. Right. And so that made us adjust that the, the pressure that we were putting down on those clamps. Second, we want a little bit of air to be able to get through there. Right. Uh, we want a little bit of a cure, a little bit of a cork, not much, right. If it just kind of goes down that little tail end, that's perfect. Right. It keeps there from being any voids in there. Right. If any air voids get in there, right? Liquid separation where some of the liquid components of the urethane can kind of leach out, right? And now when you start getting out, you get that little glob of, of urethane, right? Yep. And so so what we train is rather than, you know, a lot of guys, and I, I used to do it back in the day too, right? You get a unipack, right? You come in with a pair of scissors and you cut right underneath that clip and stick it in your gun and start gunning. And then sometimes maybe if there was any cure in there, right? Little piece, it would come out immediately. Sometimes it comes out halfway through, right? And so guys would say, well, you know, it's halfway through. No, it was at the end of the bag, right? And it just kind of hung there and hung there and hung there until the very end, and then it spit out, right? Yeah. Uh, so what what we train, rather than cutting underneath that clip, right, just take a screwdriver or a cartridge puncher or just whatever, just punch a hole between that silver clip and the shoulder of the bag, right? It'll open up a little bit of a hole, right? Put it in, 
And if there's any curing there, it will flow right around that little cured piece, right? Just leave that clip right in the gun, right? That will take care of 99% of your issues if you ever have any curing there so you don't get it into your bead. Because when you get it into the bead, right, you got to stop, you got to clean it out, yep. you know, fix that bead, right? If it's hot and humid, now you're worried, man, it's skinning real quick. And so if you do that, it really eliminates, you know, any, any uh, issue with the curing of the clip. Perfect. What's, uh, what's yeah. on the forefront for Sika? This is your last question. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and so yeah, also, uh, uh, Jim, one thing I do want to yeah. offer is a, a giveaway, right? And so and I'll what? let you run however the contest. And so uh, I'm going to give away a free, uh, uh, you know, uh, carton of, of Sika, whatever, whatever your guy wants or uses, wants to try, whether it's Ultimate, Mach 30, Mach 60, cartridges, sausage packs, you let me know. Uh, who to send it to, and I'll get that out to them, okay? Oh, perfect. Yeah, I'll get that up. Uh, we're trying to figure out more and more of the giveaways, how to work it, but perfect. Thank you, Bob. That's, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Well, we we appreciate what you do here. We appreciate the listeners, right, guys that are, are trying to do the right thing out there, and we want to reward them and, uh, uh, you know, help out any way we can to promote the podcast for sure. Um. So, yeah, so I, mean, I guess right now our big thing is we're, we're pushing our Seek Attack Ultimate, right? Our 30-minute uh, minimum drive-away time product, high-modulus, non-conductive. And it's primalist to glass, right? Which yep. means you don't necessarily have to use activator or primer below it, right? All we have to do is clean that glass, right? Um, and, and, again, surface preparation is, is king, right? If we get that, that surface clean, right? Yep. Uh, we offer our Seek Power Clean Aid sponges, right? scotch Bright works really well too i i do like scotch Bright a little bit because it does remove some of the loose ceramic fiber that the pads may not remove right and so if you're using that and you're scuffing around that windshield and then we wipe off afterward right it uh you can see some of that ceramic frit coming off on some of the poorer frits right and we don't want to bond to those those loose uh particles right we want to sound substrate to bond to so then we can clean it, and then we just apply Sika, uh, the Sika Tech Ultimate. And by now, we've probably done somewhere around 800,000 installs with the product, and it's been, it's been fantastic. Uh, I can say when I first uh, was coming on to AGR, we started um, trying our first hand at a Primalist adhesive, right, uh, which ended up being P2G and P2G Plus, Primalist to Glass. And so I thought, boy, as the application engineer, I'm going to get a ton of calls with a Primalist product. And to be honest with you, it's been rock solid. It's yeah. been absolutely rock solid, right? And so I know a lot of guys are hesitant to, to not use a, you know, they don't want to use a Primalist product because they've been trained, right, to use something on that glass. And I get it. Yep. But the beauty of Ultimate is that you can still use Activator if you choose to. You can still use Black Primer on the glass if you choose to, right? But you also have the added benefit of, hey, if my technician forgot to put activator on that glass and he decked it with, uh, you know, with any other product other than Primalist, he could have some issues, right? Mm -hmm. But with the Primalist, we're saying, hey, if that glass is clean, it's going to stick. And, and our history right now is proving it. And our history with our other Primalist products is proving it, too. So. So very uh, robust. I would, I would, uh, you know, suggest, uh, recommend to, to all the listeners out there. Hey, give it a try, right? Get, get in contact with your seeker rep, uh, and and give it a try, and and just see what you think. I mean, the we've got a lot of guys that were hot applied guys back in the day, and they say this is the closest thing to the properties of our hot applied they've ever seen in a cold applied product, right? As far as uh, cutoff string decking, 
uh, paddling, all those things. And so it's been a very robust product. And so that's, that's good. We do have a new activator coming out. And so, uh, you know, never as fast as a sales guy wants it to come out. But I understand when we're talking about a service preparation product, we've got to be extra, extra, extra careful when we release something new. And so we're just going through some of, some of the finalized uh, testing of that product. And so I would look for that uh, to come out soon. And, and Activator Pro works great, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's a very robust yeah. product. The new stuff we're working on works even better, right? We're having a hard time getting uh, products to fail when we do the testing, uh, you know, in all the different conditions that we test to. And so we're, we're real excited about that product. I can't wait to get that out. Um, and one last thing, uh, we are also going to be introducing a wider nozzle uh, for our sausage packs, the Unipacks. Oh, nice. Um, it, it, yeah, so it does a couple of things. It really reduces the force needed to push out some of those heavy viscosity products, right? So it's a little bit more tapered than the than the two uh, piece that we have now, right? That kind of narrows, and then you got to try and push all that urethane up into that little tip. Uh, you know, we're looking at some uh, some reduction in forces, you know, 25, 50%, depending on uh, some of the temperature conditions. And so that's better for wear and tear on the gun, better for the battery life, just easier for the technician to use it. So uh, those are becoming available sometime, hopefully second quarter, we'll have those out and, uh, and guys can try those. And we think, uh, you know, from the field trials that we've run so far, uh, the, um, the feedback has been fantastic. So awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to those coming into the cases too, cause that's kind of one of the things, uh, but I mean, I used ultimate successfully in the Olympics, uh, Raul used ultimate successfully in the Olympics and we're still using it. Bob's right. It is really close to what you used to use with your hot apply. But Bob, where can they find that video of the 100% retention rating for the ultimate that you guys tested? Because I know there's a video out there. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. If you go to YouTube and you just type in Seek Attack Ultimate, uh, that crash test is there. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's marketed up a little bit, but you can kind of see the, uh, the nuts and bolts of a crash test. And and I tell you, that's one of the great parts of my job, right? Even now being in sales, uh, I'm fortunate that the crash, uh, the third-party crash uh, facility that we use is about 20 minutes from my house. Oh, so whenever we, yeah, so whenever we get a new product or we've changed the formulation and we've got to do a crash test validation, uh, I'm always invited to those things. And, uh, you know, there's nothing better than uh, your boss paying you to watch, uh, you know, to work on a car, uh, you know, and, and crash this you know, $50,000 car into a barrier, right? Uh, it doesn't get any, it doesn't get any better than that. Right. And the bells yeah. and whistles are going off and it's, it's really, really a cool event. And you'll get a little bit from the video that's out there, just kind of the feel. And, uh, you know, as, as an engineer that uh, used to work on those things, and I know Mike Ray, our current engineer that works on those, you get a little bit of a lump in your throat as that car is coming down because you are saying, Hey, this thing's going to pass based on all the <laughs> testing that we've done to get up to that point. And, but it's always a mystery, right? Because yeah. you're using maybe a different vehicle, maybe the airbag's coming out different. So there's always variables that you're just not a thousand percent convinced are, are covered, right? You hope they are, right? We try and uh, pick vehicles that are, are, are difficult to pass, right? Uh, and so, um, yeah, but it, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, when that thing hits, it is, it's uh, lightning in a bottle, man, to be there. So yeah, I would, I would uh, definitely suggest guys go out, take a look at that. Yeah, 100% retention after 30 minutes, right? And they are, they're on that clock, man. When that thing hits 30 minutes, it's, uh, it's hitting into that wall. And so uh, it's a great video. Thanks for asking about that, Jim. Hey, no problem. All right, Bob, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you Josh. for being on. Anytime you want to come on, talk about anything technical or 
if you just if you hear something on the show, anybody, and you want to be like, yo, I don't think that's absolutely correct. Please challenge me on it because I will find you oh. the answers. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, hey, I, I appreciate the offer, and uh, you know, I I appreciate uh, you having uh, me on here today. It was great fun, and uh, yeah, anytime uh, you're looking for something, please reach out, buddy. All right, will do. Hey, Bob, have a wonderful Thanks. day, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was uh, Bob with uh, Sika. He is my trainer, so I want to thank him for, you know, just being himself and uh, just being there for me for all my questions I have. Um, I'm sure you guys have known, figured out by now that uh, I'm very, I try to be as inquisitive as I can, but I want to pass the information along to everybody. Uh, this has been Put Them on the Glass podcast. And this show and every show this month of the month of February is brought to you by Kaizen Glass Solutions. They offer training of all kinds, uh, windshield replacement, windshield repair, tinting, ADAS calibration training. Uh, you have commercial, residential, flat glass training. Um, KaizenGlassSolutions.com. That's where you want to go. You'll find how to register right there. They are very good people, and it is another outlet for you to expand your knowledge, gain the knowledge, and just be an overall better technician, no matter what part of the industry you go into. So uh, please, do yourself a favor. Go over to kaizenglasssolutions.com and check them out. Uh, they'll be more than willing to answer any questions you have, and you'll get that technical training that we tried to provide here in this show. So... Once again, thank you so much for listening. I am the Ghost Set Killer, James Chapman, and this is Put Them on a Glass Podcast.